This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Entertainment, music, pop culture, LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Hello. Happy Friday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan, where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our lives, so much more with fun music in between on Channel Q. Ah, uh, yeah. And honestly, thanks so much for joining us again. We made it. It's the end of the week. We, we did. did that. And you have a lot going on this weekend. I do. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, I feel it's it's a surreal moment because I, I feel like I, when I started Channel Q, I was just trying to learn the ropes. I'm still very new at this, and I've been fortunate to get so many amazing opportunities to really have a presence uh, in, in, in when it comes to the media space of being in, in the LGBTQ plus community. And I'm hosting a three-day music festival live and um, on Twitch. It's a live in person here at the LA Coliseum, which is iconic and of course if you can't be there you can check it out on twitch Love it. um it's called a raising voices um out loud adam lambert it's the official stonewall day and there's just you know i'm just very excited to be here and to, to have that opportunity to do that and just kind of grow as you know i continue to learn more about Ryan, the space yes as a superstar well so proud of you, Thank you. and i'll be there rooting you on <gasps> yes, yes, yes drinking while you are all working. professional <laughs> um but yeah i'm excited to see it. and if you want to tune in it's on twitch twitch.tv slash officially out loud yes it is thank you so much here for saying that um yes tune in please and i think it's also going to be kind of like a, a fundraising thing as well so if you want to donate uh learn some stuff about stonewall Take the time and do it. We have some incredible people. Adam Lambert, Kim Petras. I mean, Jake Wesley Rogers, Kalina Rogers, Mickey Blanca. The 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 list of people who are going to be there performing. Whoopi Goldberg is even sending in a message. What? I'm, I'm dying. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be incredible. I'm very, very excited. And I'm, I'm very grateful to be a part, in all honesty. Well, that is amazing. And uh, coming up this show, we also have some amazing things. We have a special guest. The first out LGBTQ plus Olympic wrestler is joining us. Yes, uh, that's hot. Yeah, that's at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Governor Gavin Newsom stood on a set designed to look like a game show today and drew winners of the first cash prizes in California's COVID-19 vaccine lottery. 15 cash prizes of $50,000 each to vaccinated Californians. I don't think me and Ryan have gotten our call yet, but we are waiting. It's part of an effort to boost immunizations that also give the governor a chance to give away 165, uh, not 116.5 
million, I almost got that number wrong, to potential voters before the recall election. That's one way to get votes. And for those who didn't win, at least we get something. He also announced this. So this will allow folks to get continue to get the takeout. Uh, if you do take out food, you'll be able to get the takeout uh, uh, cocktails. Uh, this will allow the opportunity uh, to uh, provide more certainty. Yeah, basically, we get takeout cocktails still as the state reopens June 15th. That's what I'm talking about. That's a little bit of a benefit from all of this madness. <laughs> now, Facebook announced Donald Trump will be suspended for two years. The decision follows the social media company's oversight board recommendation in May that the former president's posts about the January 6th storming of the U.S. Capitol severely violated Facebook rules. The announcement said Facebook will, quote, look to experts to assess whether the risk to public safety has receded after the two-year ban. Yikes. And finally, a recent increase in COVID-19 hospitalizations among people ages 12 to 17 is a reminder of the importance of practicing prevention measures against the coronavirus and vaccinations. Uh, According to a study released today in the CDC, uh, morbidity and mortality weekly report. So, yeah, keep those measures continuing because there are people that are still vulnerable. But that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so, Shira. Yes. I don't want to talk about this person, but he's kind of everywhere. Let's talk Kevin Spacey. Oh. Yeah, so he is headed back to work, but is it too soon following his whole entire big scandal? Um, it's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Um, actor Kevin Spacey is plotting his return to acting in films. He's going to appear in an upcoming Italian film called The Man Who Drew God. Basically, it's deemed as like a, a local indie film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like he's hitting blockbusters out here. Well, the director of the film said, I'm very happy Kevin agreed to participate in my film. I consider him a great actor and I can't wait to start the movie. Now, if you're not familiar with what happened with Kevin Spacey. In recent years, he has faced significant accusations in lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct, including at least 20 young men who claimed misconduct by Spacey at the famed Old Vic Theater in London between 1995 and 2013. The allegations resulted in Kevin leaving the hit Netflix show uh, House of Cards. Um, Of course, now last May, Spacey appeared on a podcast and he actually compared what is very weird and kind of cringy. He compared his career's downfall to the effects of the coronavirus on businesses. So like, oh, people are out of jobs right now because of coronavirus. And so I kind of think of it that way, too. Like, I'm just out of a job. Like, I got I I get you. I'm going through (laughs) traumatic times, too. (laughs) Do you think it's too soon for him to be coming back? I mean, it's been two years. Yeah, I mean, it's been a little bit of a minute. It feels like he hasn't been around. I feel like at every Except point, for those creepy Christmas videos yeah, that he puts out. Weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I guess like five years, uh, like a five-year gap would have been good. But, you know, know, two years in actor time is like a decade, I guess. I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like once you do the do, you kind of forfeit your your privilege and your right to continue in that space because you didn't handle it right the first time. So why do you feel like you get to come back? And But I know people got bills to pay. We live in a capitalist society. Yeah. And so that's just what it is. He's going to try it if he can. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to find out more about this story. Let us know. Keep the conversation going at LGT Show. And that is your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. Now, a new report finds that police profiling of LGBTQ plus people is more common across the board. More details on that next.
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. According to a new report released yesterday by the Williams Institute, queer individuals were six times more likely than straight cisgender people to have been stopped by the police in a public space. And joining us right now is Winston Lahore, a research assistant at the Williams Institute and co-author of this policing study. Thanks for joining us for this. Thanks for having me. So tell us more details about this report, because what I just mentioned was just one of the many findings. Right. So this study comparison between LGBTQ, there is unfortunately no transgender population in this study between LGBTQ and general population in the United States regarding policing and uh, occasions of policing interactions. Uh, throughout the study, we find that in terms of contacts with police, we find LGBTQ people just have much, much higher con- uh, rates of contacts with the police. Regarding you mentioned previously in public spaces, whether they're driving or whether they're involved in a vehicle accident and such. And interestingly enough, uh, interestingly enough as well, uh, LGBTQ people uh, across sex and ra- sex and race, uh, this uh, this pattern of contacts also persists. So, yeah, how did you get this information? Like, how did you gather this to come up with these findings? Right. So the LGBTQ part of the data comes from a generation study. This is a study funded by NIH and the Williams Institute. Uh, it's a nationally representative study in the United States of LGBTQ people's uh, health and well-being, while the general population comes from the police public contact survey, which is a federal survey part of the National Crime Victimization Survey that is done by the Department of Justice. Got it. Both of them are available online. Okay. So it's, it's yeah. not surprising because also the results correlated with what was written as lower levels of trust the LGBTQ community has with the police too, which makes sense when you can see if they're being stopped more, they're obviously going to have less trust for the police as well. Yes. Interestingly enough, regarding, uh, unfortunately, we do not really have context for these what like what kind of uh, occur what kind of context uh these contacts have happened but according to previous research we did see that uh while uh lgbtq people do start contact more with the police we also see in the data that they are less satisfied with these contacts and especially among female lgbtq uh respondents we see even less uh, satisfaction with the police, which kind of correlate with previous studies on how police appear to police their gender expression more due to being a lesbian or bisexual woman, where it's a function of a more heteronormative uh, side of policing. Oh, that's so interesting. I would think it was the mm-hmm. opposite because of how like much toxic masculinity is within police that they would maybe treat um, those who identified as men you know, worse, maybe, or or those who maybe looked like men, right? Because of maybe their their view of the men in general. Right. I've seen that argument before as well, but it's more of a, a fu- this is a more function of what people have been calling the function of like intersectionality between gender and gender expression, mm-hmm. where, yes, masculinity appears to be more valued in society, but research has also shown that when women in particular or feminine presenting people present more masculinely, they see that as a breaking of gender norms and they, and it's a more worse transgression when it's a, 
feminine presenting oh, or women. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is this different than other reports or studies? Because the Williams Institute did one a few years back. Did, has there been any change over the years? Uh, unfortunately, we do not really have data on that, considering this is perhaps the first one to actually compare uh, two national representative studies, and particularly a national representative study of LGBTQ people, which is extremely rare to begin with. So this is how we try to add uh, this initial analysis into the pile of growing literature on policing. Yeah, and why? And finally, you did mention that transgender individuals weren't included in this. Is there a reason why? Yeah, unfortunately, when this uh, study was conceived, uh, it was focusing more on the LGBTQ side of the of the LGBT community. Uh, so that's why we do not really have data on trans people. But other studies, although not nationally representative, including Currently, the largest uh, survey on transgender people in the states, the USTS, does find does find that this there's a disparity between transgender people's experience of policing, where they are way way more uh, likely to have experienced brutalization, harassment, or mm-hmm. violence from police, especially so for trans trans people of color. Yeah, and so what do we do with this information now that you have this out there? Even though, I mean, this was. Uh, this is obvious. Like I think that we all assume this, but now that you have it, what do we do with it? Yeah, uh, I guess uh, this study should should make aware the importance of looking at the intersection, not just between between race and policing, but also wove wove in the issues intersectionalities of gender, sexual orientation, and sexuality, and gender identity in general considering all the conversations currently happening around police mm-hmm. reforms in the nation and perhaps also beyond. All right. Well, and yep. also have also realizing that race, gender, sexuality are all interconnected in some way. Definitely. So people should should be aware of these concepts when they discuss all these important matters. Well, that was Winston Lahore, research assistant at the Williams Institute, co-author of this policing study out right now. Thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. Now, we just spoke about law enforcement as it relates to the LGBTQ plus community. But as anti-trans laws continue to be debated across the nation, what are Americans' views on all of this? Gallup joins us next to discuss their latest study. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Gallup has released data from their survey that reveals America's current perspectives on trans issues. And joining us right now is Justin McCarthy, a journalist and analyst at Gallup. Thanks for being here for this. Thanks for having me. Uh, so this has made major headlines today, and I'm sure you're not surprised about that. What was the overall takeaway from this? Because there is a feeling, considering the narrative around trans issues, that America just does not get it. And did the data and the survey reveal that? So there were two big findings. The first one about the military. It was an update from a question we asked in 2019. And we found then and we found today that most Americans support uh, transgendered Americans' right to serve in the military. Uh, we did also include a, a new question on sports. There's a lot of legislation going on in dozens of states about uh, transgender participation on sports teams. And we found that most Americans support uh, transgender athletes playing on the team of their birth gender rather than their gender identity by about two to one. 
Yeah, talk to us a little bit about how you're even gathering this information. What part of the country are you asking these questions? All of our polls are based on a sample of a thousand respondents at minimum, sometimes more. And we weight the data based on region, education, and other various uh, metrics. Okay. You're so short and sweet. I thought you were going to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any more to oh, say? I'd, I'd be happy to read you the survey method. <laughs> well, so, so this is interesting. Has Gallup looked at this before? And how do you feel like the perspectives have changed? Well, the, like you said, the sports question is a new item. The, uh, the military question is interesting because if you look back to the years of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, we found similar uh, percentages of Americans saying that they supported gay and lesbian Americans uh, to join the military. So it kind of uh, reinforces this idea that most Americans think if you're willing to fight and defend your country, you should be allowed to regardless of your identity. The sports item is a new item. And it's a very new issue to a lot of Americans. So this is very much a first measure. And what we know from our decades of tracking LGBT trends is that um, Americans really do change their minds about LGBT issues. So um, there could definitely be change on the horizon. Yeah, there most definitely could. I I thought something that was really interesting that jumped out to me was that uh, there was a, a, a little bit of a shift for even independence. Um, political independence where they have become less supportive than they were in 2019, down 12 percent percentage points. That's quite strange. I mean, I was kind of shocked because independence kind of rests in that middle space, right? You know, there's always a balancing that goes on in an early transition from one president to another. And we're kind of seeing that across other measures uh, on the Affordable Care Act, on labor unions. So it, it does seem like a big number, but I think it's important to measure this over time and uh, see what see what independents do in the future. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. The numbers that you got around trans athletes, it seems like a majority of respondents, as you mentioned, said that they should compete under their birth gender, contrary to some of the other polls and possibly influenced by a lot of this anti-trans rhetoric. Is this an outlier? You know, what we find on this measure and many others is that the way that you ask the question is really important. We've seen some other polls where they straight out asked if uh, transgender uh, athletes should be banned from sports. And a lot of Americans were opposed to that. And what we were trying to get at is if, you know, you're making a decision uh, based on transgender athletes' identity, should their identity be the team that they, you know, 
that dictates what team they're on or should it be their birth gender? And right now, again, it's just a first measure. It's a very new issue. Right now, Americans are, are leaning toward fairly heavily uh, their birth gender. What was the findings for people who actually knew someone who was transgender? So the interesting thing is that if you know someone who is trans, you're much more likely to support their right to uh, serve in the military. And if you know someone who's trans, you're also more likely to, to support uh, transgender athletes playing on teams that correspond with their gender identity as opposed to their birth gender. Um, you know, we had similar findings for uh, support for same-sex marriage and other uh, gay and lesbian measures. If you knew someone who was gay and lesbian, you're more inclined to support their rights, whereas you know, we're seeing a similar situation with uh, transgender Americans. How do you think this is going to support the community and policymaking moving forward? The worry I do have from this is that Republicans will use this to continue to push this anti-trans narrative because they see that people are voting in this way or thinking this way. Well, you know, I think it's important to look back on the uh, larger... The, the, the large amount of LGBT metrics that we've taken over, over the course of decades. And if you look at gay marriage, there was one point in time where most Americans by a strong majority were opposed to same-sex marriage. And that's changed dramatically. It's actually one of our most remarkable trends in Gallup history. Uh, so it, it is important to remember that these are, this is a very new measure. Uh, things really do change. Americans have changed their minds quite a bit, especially on LGBT issues. And I think one of the key findings is on age. You know, when you look at the, the breakdown of the number of Americans who know someone who's trans, among adults under 30, that's half of them. They all, half of them say that they know someone personally who's transgender. And we know that from the data, that affects how you look at the issues. So, and, and on a separate measure, we've also been tracking the number of Americans who identify as LGBT, including transgender, and that's been growing. So there's definitely more visibility, there's more familiarity with the issues. Time will tell what where this issue goes, but um, we're going to continue tracking them. All right. Justin McCarthy, journalist and analyst at Gallup, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So TikTok is calling out big name shoe brands for stealing from black creatives. We'll tell you what went down next. Creators are calling out brands for ripping them off. As they should. Yeah. It's not just creators. I, I was going to get into it. And specifically, uh, black creators and artists. Thank you. And this isn't the first time we've heard of this. No. Actually, Urban Outfitters, I feel like uh, I've heard I heard this a lot, that they would go on Etsy and just like steal ideas. Uh, but now this is showing up on TikTok, where uh, Vans is actually being called out. And this is happening after... Converse was called out of stealing a design uh, that was submitted as part of a program. So uh, this person basically uh, was sharing the story of her friend and how Vans stole his idea. Here's the video. Notice his tweet caption says mood. Vans was hyper aware of this design because they commented on it in February of 2018. Five months later in July, they announced that they were releasing a Vans shoe with cow print on it. You can even see down here where they say the cow print is sort of fresh and new. It gets worse. They recently released this shoe with the same slogan that Mint used in 2017. A whole mood. So yeah, definitely sounds sketchy. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a couple of sides here for me. Um, one, 
This is awful. We continue to see these companies do these things. They don't want to give the credit. They want to just see it. They want to comment on it. They want to, you know, give people praise, but then they want to do their own version of it. And it's just like, no, that's not how this works. But then also, I I, I can't help but think about the early stages of Clubhouse. And uh, mm-hmm. there was there used to be rooms on there, and I'm not sure if they're still doing those rooms, but there used to be rooms where people... Uh, in the industry and Hollywood film would hold rooms and spaces for people to pitch movies to them and like pitch shows and like be like, oh, we'll help you kind of get the ground off. But oftentimes all that resulted in was people like getting their ideas snatched because they're on these last like, you know, big platforms. If they're on Twitter and they're putting out their ideas Sometimes, if you're putting too much of your ideas out there, you're kind of opening the door for people to come steal it. And my thing is, there's a proper way to do everything. And if you want, like, if you have this cool design and you want to do it, it's like if you want to make it into a bigger thing, then maybe, like, take the proper channels, maybe find out how to do a collaboration with them or something. I don't know. But, like, I'm not putting ideas on the Internet especially on big major social platforms where all these eyes can see it for then my, uh, to, because I know that my stuff is going to be ripped and stolen. It's just not okay. So here's the thing. I get that hesitancy at the same time for every person that might be ripped. There's like a ton of people that end up putting their stuff out there and gaining p- opportunities White and people, collaborations. Though. It's not black not folks. Not always. You know, when? many times, um, let's case in point, me. <laughs> How many times... Has uh, have I approached big companies about doing something with what's trending? But you're white, and they have said, "No, we're going to do our own thing. Why would we like want to like basically help something that's not owned by us?" It happens like consistently. Um, but you've also had more times than others where you've been able to elevate. It's not the same. I don't I'm think. Just, that, no, I, don't I know think that. that. No, but I'm just saying that I do. I don't know specific instances. I think, I do, a, but, I think a specific instance is uh, Addison Ray and TikTokers. She was someone who she's like a, a very big person. I'm not talking about one percent I mean, people. But she benefited off of those the dances and the creations of oh, that. black creators. So, so that, that's a main. That's a main example that's, of that. That's that. But I do think, and once again, I feel like this is where it's a double-edged sword. The the social media space. It allows for a lot of discovery, but it also allows for a lot of ripping off, right? And so, and you'll see that from uh, people being ripped off, specifically smaller creators or middle-sized creators, and then specifically if you add in obviously the BIPOC community, right? So once again, I don't know if the answer is to keep your idea yourself and go wait through the right channels, because what if you don't have access to those channels? So it's like sometimes you got to take a leap of faith and put yourself out there, and hopefully the right thing will happen. I feel like companies hopefully are learning and if the right thing doesn't happen then now you call them out and people will stand by you and you know call that company out and that brand out so i i do hope something happens from this and i think that's what the power of social is is to like amplify when the wrong thing happens but once again actions speak louder than words and so we uh we got to do something about it for in these companies or hold, holding these companies accountable also even when you call them out it's not like it's guaranteed that your post is going to go viral oh yeah Totally. If anything, they they hope it won't. Right? They're like, oh yeah, like this is not going to get a lot of attention. No, I'm talking about if you're calling out the brand. Totally. That 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 you want people to get attention, but sometimes it's not going to get attention. Sometimes that's not how it works, unfortunately. Exactly, and that's what they hope for, right? So they don't need to make a change. Uh, but let us know what you think of this. Who was in the right? Who was in the wrong? Would this stop you from putting out your ideas on social media at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media? Now, coming up, Lance Bass's very creative and very big baby announcement. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, we are back and coming up this hour, I'm so excited. We have the first out LGBTQ plus Olympic wrestler, Kayla Miracle, joining us in 30 minutes as we continue celebrating pride with leaders in the community. And you know you're adulting when NSYNC's Lance Bass announces he's going to be a dad? His big announcement video. I will be playing a moment from that coming up in the T-Report. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. This afternoon, the White House hosted its first ever press briefing with questions um, asked exclusively by social media stars. Where was my invitation? Right. The event was streamed live on the official White House YouTube channel and Twitter was hosted by Press Secretary Jen Psaki. It featured the press pool, which included DJ and entrepreneur Hannah Bromfman, the Property Brothers, politics vlogger Emily Zilber, BuzzFeed's Curly Velasquez, um, and a few others, including Benny Drama, if you know the comedy Instagrammer. He's amazing. And it wasn't just so serious. They did ask questions around... um, the American Families Plan, but some of them couldn't help but add some other fun questions into the mix. And here's Benny Drama. Um, I need to know if you came in contact with Lady Gaga. I wish I did. I will tell you, and this is like not a very uh, fancy story, but during Lady Gaga's performance, I was actually on a bus coming to the White House because we had to come and work that day. So, and I did a briefing on the first day, so I had to come to work and get ready for the briefing. So I was on a bus. I did tell you one, I will tell you, my children love Lady Gaga. I love Lady Gaga. Uh, I love the documentary. I just like, we could keep talking Lady Gaga, but, um, and we blast bad romance in the car sometimes, but I was in the- it's nice to know that Jen Psaki is like all of us, really. These are the tough questions that we need to know. I actually do love when they bring these social media stars into the mix. They did ask some tougher questions, specifically, as I mentioned, around the Americans' family plan, which President Biden unveiled in April. Uh, but this isn't the first time they've done this. Late last month, President Biden and Dr. Fauci sat down with three creators, uh, Jackie, Ana, Manny, MUA, and Brave Wilderness, in a YouTube town hall to answer questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. So I'm sure we're going to see a bit more of this from this administration, because actually uh, Obama's administration did this and kind of did not happen with Trump's. And I don't know if some of these social media stars would have wanted to do it anyway. And uh, Michaela Kennedy Cuomo, daughter of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, has a public message to share this Pride Month. She is queer. Yep, that's right. Kennedy Cuomo, who is 23, shared her announcement on Instagram Thursday, along with two photos of herself uh, and a statement supporting LGBTQ causes. When reached for comment, the New York governor told NBC News through email, I love support and couldn't have more pride in Michaela. Love that. And uh, finally, regulators today said a new version of a popular diabetes diabetes medicine could be sold as a weight loss drug. We're going to be telling you more about that in What's Trending this hour in the next hour. Let's get into some entertainment news. What's going on, Ryan? 
Okay, so Lance Bass announced some big news in a very unconventional way. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Of course, you probably know by now that him and his husband uh, announced that they're expecting little ones, uh, a boy and a girl twins. Like, you know, the fraternal twins. Wow. So cute. I'm so excited for them. But they crafted a mini horror film trailer for TikTok that ultimately revealed the two are expecting twins. Now, it's a very kind of visual thing, but I thought, why not? Let's play a little bit of it because it's, it's actually hilarious. <laughs> there it is again. There's something in this house. I most certainly feel a presence here. More than one. <laughs> Who's there? It's okay. It's me. So there's a, a lot a, of jump scares. It's a lot of work. It's literally a horror film trailer. Imagine everything about it. I thought this was so cool and unconventional for them to do it in this. Um, now, here's the thing. The twins are due around Halloween, um, but they're technically expected in early November. But Lance said this. I need them to get here before Halloween because I need them to be Halloween babies. So clearly Halloween is his favorite holiday. Um, he said they have no choice but to love Halloween because I'm obsessed and they're going to be obsessed. You should head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to check out the full TikTok because it's most definitely worth um, checking it out. I mean, the production value on TikToks are just really going up nowadays. Yeah, it's making me feel like mine aren't good enough. Well, sure, I could have told you that. You need to raise the bar. I really could have told you that. <laughs> um, but that's your T-Report. I got more T-Report stories coming up later in the show, so you better stick around because it's a party. Okay, speaking of parties, with all the Pride events, you might need a break. How to master, master sorry, the disco nap. That's next. Maybe I need a disco nap now. <laughs> Let's go there. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? Nerd Wallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Lashira and Ryan. Channel Q. If you're tired during the day, you might have to add something to your schedule. A disco nap. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Dr. Whitney Roman is with us right now, a family educational and corporate sleep specialist at Solve Our Sleep. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, let's talk about what a disco nap is. How is it different from a regular nap? So when most people think of naps, they think of falling asleep on the couch and dozing off and waking up maybe a couple of hours later after a bad night of sleep. A disco nap is more of like a power nap. It's something when we know, you know, after the um, pandemic, as we're slowly coming out of it, 
and people's schedules have really not been conducive to going out of the house. And now maybe we need or we want to get out with some friends, but we don't feel that we're going to have the energy. It's really just a quick you know, 20 to 30 minute um, power nap to give us a little bit of uh, rejuvenation before we go out for the night. Why do why does this feel like it keeps being rebranded? Because this is nothing new. And it, it, I just don't understand why we have this new name called a disco. Now. I've been using this, by the way, and sorry, Dr. Whitney, I've been using this for the past, uh, I would say, 10 years myself. Are you a pioneer in disco I'm just naps? saying. Actually, my friend's in <laughs> yeah, I learned it from my friend's it's, um, it's a term that we've been using for a while now, but, um, you know, people like it. It's catchy. It's. I don't think anybody's really going to a disco anymore, but it's, <laughs> you know... It connotates getting ready to go out for some fun, which yeah. we all haven't had in a well, long time. I think why I feel like it's so confusing is because if, is it different from a power nap or is it the same? No, it's really the same as a power nap. But, you know, sometimes when people go to take power naps, they end up sleeping for much longer. So a disco nap is really something you want to do. You don't want to feel worse when you wake up. That kind of defeats the purpose. So you really don't want to go into your deep sleep. That way, if you set your alarm before you go to sleep and you take about a 20 to 30 minute nap, you'll wake up actually feeling refreshed rather than feeling worse. I thought it was 15 minutes. That's usually the disco nap for me has been a 15 minute. Five minutes. For 15. Me. You say 15. It can be it could, anything shorter than 30 minutes as long as you're not going into your next you know, sleep cycle or if you actually really had a bad night of sleep and you want to do something longer, the best recommendation is to do a full 90 minutes. And that way you go through one whole full sleep cycle and you'll also wake up feeling good. But somewhere in between that 30 minutes and 90 minutes, you're not going to feel great when you wake up. Is there a best time of day to take one of these disco naps? Usually around six hours or within six hours from when you woke up that morning, but the rule really is you want it to end before 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So early afternoon is probably the best time. So interesting. So, yeah, when you're taking one, like, before partying, maybe at 9 or 10 p.m., you know, maybe not in L.A., but, you know, on the East Coast, people go out at 10 p.m. Uh, mm-hmm. And people will take, like, a 6 p.m. disco nap. I could use a nap right now, but guess what? I got an <laughs> afternoon do. show, and that's that screws up my plan for a disco nap. <laughs> Another thing you can do also is add a little caffeine, so make it a caffeine-infused disco nap. So what you do is you drink a cup of coffee, and by the time the caffeine sets in, it's about 20 minutes later, and then you'll wake up, and you'll wake up with actually a little extra boost of energy. Ooh. That's another way to add a little more energy. It sounds like you just gave us now. drug advice over there. <laughs> <laughs> Caffeine, nothing else. Exactly. Come on. And, and what is your take on meditation? Uh, because for me, a meditation can it becomes like a bit of a somewhat of a sleep if I'm really tired. I love meditation. Um, I think it's a great way to relax. You know, a lot of times people want to nap, but when they actually get into their quiet space, they don't know how to turn off their brain. The number one uh, cause of sleep problems is stress and anxiety, and it's those thoughts that keep going through our heads that we can't turn off. So meditation is a great way to learn how to clear the mind, and then sleep will follow. So if if you meditate, that's a great thing to do. And along with meditation is a lot of deep breathing, techniques. So there's like the um, four, seven, eight yoga breaths that yogis have been using for a very long time. So you can use that to calm your body 
right. and use the meditation to calm your mind too, and that will make the you know falling asleep in the middle of the day for a nap a lot easier. I have a question. I, I think it's really interesting because as we get older, do our sleep patterns change? Do our like our need for naps change as we get older? They do. Our body actually um, will crave more naps. Um, our melatonin, all older people, um, their melatonin production will go down. So um, we won't sleep as well or maybe get into our deeper sleep as we hit, you know, our late 60s and 70s. So they definitely, I mean, when you're, t- when you're a teenager, that's why you want to sleep so much because your body's in like a high state of growth and development. And then as you get older, your sleep needs go down a little bit, but we also have a harder time falling asleep. And then there's also medications that you go on as you get older, um, more stress in your life. So definitely older people tend to nap more than young younger people do. Yeah, to it's s- all down To escape here. the realities of adulting. Okay, that was Dr. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dr. Whitney. <laughs> the real world. Uh, Robin, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Uh, and Dr. Whitney, again, is a corporate sleep specialist at Solve Our Sleep. Next up on the show, I am so excited to have Kayla Miracle joining us. She's the first LGBTQ plus Olympic wrestler. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are highlighting incredible leaders in the LGBTQ plus community during Pride. But, you know, we do this every single day here on Channel Q, especially during Pride. And our but next, we've uh, never talked to an Olympian. Well, though. I was about to do the big intro. Our I next know. guest has punched through many obstacles. Oh, you came through that one, huh? <laughs> Including becoming the first out Olympic wrestler. Welcome, Kayla Miracle on Let's Go There. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yes, we love someone who, uh, you know, is does things for the first time. Uh, but I Groundbreaking. Don't, yeah, groundbreaking, pioneering, yeah. <laughs> uh, historic, all those words. The source, thank you. Uh, but I feel like this wasn't necessarily something you were thinking about from the get-go. Oh, definitely not. Um, when Reaver Wrestling reached out and told me that I was the first, I was... Kind of shocked and surprised, but I mean, it's awesome. I'm excited, but <laughs> no, I, cool. <laughs> it is kind of shocking to, especially it's 2021. I think everyone always thinks they're still first right now. Like it, it's very telling of the, the time that we're living in, but I can't help mm-hmm. but think about how impactful this is, especially in a world right now where we're living and there's just so much anti-trans, you know, legislations attacking just queer youth and trans youth. I wonder, have you thought about kind of that responsibility of, of, of being such an out, you know, queer person and, and how that can be really inspirational to a lot of these trans youth who are playing in sports, who are being constantly attacked? Um, I haven't really thought about it all that much. I'm just, uh, the way I kind of think about it is I'm just living my life and I'm, you know, being as happy and healthy as I can type yeah. of thing. And I want other people to be happy and healthy too. And that looks different from person to person and what they want for their life and what they need for their life. So um, I think the best thing that I can do is just support whoever it is that I cross paths with and um, just stay true to myself. Definitely. How far do you think wrestling has come in terms of inclusivity? Oh, man, super far. Just men to women um, has changed dr- drastically um, this past camp that we had for the Olympians, 
we had the men and women together, which you look back at the very first um, women's Olympic team in 2004, and the guys were laughing at the girls. But now we're training with them, and we're getting to just um, enjoy that. So the culture of the sport has grown already, but then you look at the LGBTQ community, um, and they're just loving people, you know, the coaches, the administration, the other athletes, um, just a very loving family. I always wonder when you're like an Olympian or like you get to that kind of place, what's next after that? Like, because that feels like such a huge deal. And you're like, oh, my God, that's the the ultimate bucket list checkoff. So, like, what what does that look like in terms of wrestling? Like, what is there something bigger for uh, than this for you after this I mean, whole thing? I was just having this conversation with my girlfriend last night about like what the next step was for me or what I was going to do. And, you know, I don't know until I feel the emotions of the games, you know, like, do I want to go for another one? Do I want to go to the world championships or do I want to retire and be happy and go coach or open an ice cream shop? You know, Um, I won't, I won't know until I get there, but the Olympic gold medal has been my goal since I was four years old. So right now, um, I'm just happy to be on the right path towards it. Can you talk a little bit about the moment that you decided that you were going to publicly come out? What What was that decision for you um, when you were like, okay, I think it's time to, to make this announcement? For me, I didn't realize who I was or who I loved until I was in a relationship or like I started to develop feelings um, for a girl and that's when, I mean, it wasn't long after until I came out and I told my family and friends and I was like, oh, this is who I'm dating. And it was never any big announcement. Um, it was just, this is who I'm in a relationship with and this is who I love and, you know, love it or leave it type of thing. I mean, at this point, you, you, nobody can tell you anything. Once you get to this type of level, it's mm-hmm. just like <laughs> your presence is a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla, what advice do you have for others who watch what you're doing and look up to you as uh, an Olympian in your field and also in the LGBTQ plus community? So within sport, I think the biggest piece of advice is just make sure that you love it and you're doing it because you love it. Because if you're not, you're wasting your time, your coach's time, your teammates time, everything like that. Um, And then just within the community, just be true to who you are and... Um, for me, it was really nice to surround myself with allies and pe- other people that are in the community. And it kind of like you form a bond and then there's more confidence within it. So I can live louder and more proud. And, you know, I am glad to show off my girlfriend and um, just live my life regardless Aww. of what anyone else might think. Yeah, we're wrapping up here, but I feel like no one really knows this about me, but I'm kind of secretly obsessed with sports documentaries, and I okay. would love to see one, maybe even if they're following you in, in this journey of yours. Hopefully, maybe that one day will happen. But thank you so much for being on the show. We're so, so proud of you, and we couldn't help but want to highlight who you are and just what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. And if there's ever a documentary made, I will send it your way. Yes. There you go. Okay, great. I'm, I can say I'm friends with him. Like, Maybe a let's produce Olympic. it. <laughs> Starting a production company, Perfect. getting into production. Let's do it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Kayla Miracle, <laughs> thanks again for being here. The first out LGBT plus Olympic wrestler. Next up, airlines could start weighing passengers before boarding. 
Are we okay with this? We're getting into it next. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house and owning it. Having an advocate who can help you navigate negotiations, timelines, inspections, and more can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a realtor can do for you, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Listen to what airlines are announcing now. They weren't taking our souls and our money, you know, adding all these different fees. Well, they're soon going to require plus-size passengers to step on the scale or provide their weight before boarding the aircraft. You know what they can do? They can kiss my ass. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> the initiative was outlined in this recent FAA advisory. They want to provide new data on average passenger weights, as the current numbers reportedly don't reflect today's obesity rates in the U.S. And in turn, it would ensure that aircrafts, especially the small ones, don't exceed their allowable weight limit. And so how it would work is they would choose a passenger or a passenger or traveler. The operator may determine the actual weight of the passenger. So they just like look at you. This is, I'm assuming. How else do you determine the actual weight? By having them also step on a scale before boarding the aircraft. This would be, I mean, horrible. Imagine this happening to someone in front of everyone. No, um, are you kidding me? They, this has already been going on for so long. Besides, not the weighing, but they make plus uh, some plus size people, depending on your weight, they make you buy two seats. And so, this fat phobia in this country and the society is just so. Well, do they make you buy, it, yes, or do, do people buy like choose to do that because they like they want to do that? No, you have to buy no. two seats if you are over a certain limit, which is awful. Like, they're already making such uh, uh, people feel awful about being themselves, and, and it just feels gross, and it's completely unnecessary. And so it's, it doesn't even make sense why and what this has to do with the airplane. My thing is, build stronger airplanes. Right. What are you they, doing? Well, Are listen, airplanes made out of, like, of, rubber? What do you, like, what do you, like... Are there's, you about to be fat phobic over the no, airways? No, I'm just saying. I don't think, like, airplanes, there are a certain amount of weight on an airplane that it can handle. I think that it won't matter one person, one person, or a few people on the flight, their weight. But I do think it has to do with it. I'm not an airline flight expert. You're being fat phobic right now. I'm not. <laughs> if someone is listening who knows this I industry in aviation, I can't. I can't. give us a call. I'm sorry. Build first of all planes. We've seen videos and talked about it here on the air where we've seen videos where someone has looked out their window and their uh the the airplane was faulty or the 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 well, yeah I'm the not saying the airplanes arm, are perfect. The arm was caught on fire or something. My thing is worry about fixing the things that need to be fixed instead of worrying about making people feel bad for their size. It's gross. It's gross. And there's already these rules and already these stigmas against them that they're already putting them through. So what's the point of, one, um, weighing them? Are you going to refund their money back if they can't go on the plane? Like, it just feels well, gross. Yeah, this gets complicated, obviously. 
Uh, so I, you know, why is weight important on a flight? It is because of safety. But that said, there needs to be a way to handle the situation without being discriminatory all, and shaming people. Like, how is how is one person's weight going to affect the safety of so many others? Weight what? distribution actually does matter on a plane. Yeah, but th- that's for like luggage and bringing what a people. It's, people no, it's are- everything. It's meaning if you have a certain side of the plane that is heavier than the other side, it could impact the plane and the, the I'm ability sorry. to fly. This is gross. I don't want to take part in this conversation <laughs> any just, longer. I I agree with what you're saying in terms of the shaming and how they're doing it. I'm I'm not. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm bringing up. I can't the, tell. You're the smiling. idea. You're smiling. You're, you're smiling back at me. <laughs> <laughs> He loves this. He loves torturing me. Please help. It's so fun. I'm not going to lie to you. I, you can't even see my eyes. I'm blinking twice. She's like shaking. Her lips. Promise. Airlines have, have to measure their weight. No, but I still stand by everything I said. That we're having a funny moment, but seriously, this is discriminatory. I don't believe that. Build stronger planes and stop being lazy. I mean, the airline industry can't even continue after COVID, let alone build new planes. But yes. It's so gross. I can't believe this. At LGT shows where you can I find us what on social media. It. Did it say specifically what airlines are It just said it? the FAA has started. So I, I'm sure there it will be airlines that will be called out. Once this, when this happens, we'll see TikTok oh, videos. Wait. Oh, it's going to happen. I'm ready to drag. Again, we love to hear from you at LGT show. I'm sure some people had thoughts on that. Now stick around because in 30 minutes, we've got the president and CEO of GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis, joining us to talk about queer leadership. Plus, what's trending this hour is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, now coming up on this fun Friday. Love us and BB Rexa, don't we? Uh, we continue to celebrate leaders in the LGBTQ plus community. President and CEO of GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis, is joining us in 10 minutes to talk about leadership, what she's learned over the years, and so much more. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. At a stop in New Hampshire on Thursday night, former Vice President Mike Pence defended his actions on January 6th, which uh, might not have helped him as a possible Republican presidential nominee in 2024. January 6th was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. But thanks to the swift action of the Capitol Police and federal law enforcement, violence was quelled. The Capitol was secured. And that same day, we reconvened the Congress and did our duty under the Constitution and the laws of the United States. You know, President Trump and I have spoken many times since we left office. And I don't know if we'll ever see eye to eye on that day. Oh, okay. He gave the tea. And it should be interesting to hear what else comes out from Pence in the future as he's signs a multi-million dollar two-book deal in April. Now, the head of the CDC urged parents to vaccinate their teens against COVID-19 because of a rise in the number of adolescents hospitalized with the disease in March and April. She shared, and this comes from CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, I'm deeply concerned by the number of hospitalized adolescents and saddened to see the number of adolescents who require treatment in intensive care units or medical, me- mechanical ventilation. Walensky asked parents to talk with teens about the importance of continuing to wear masks and encourage them to get vaccinated. She said the CDC has recommended the Pfizer vaccine for people who are 12 and older based on the results of clinical trials. 
And finally, uh, regulators today said a new version of a popular diabetes, diabetes medicine could be sold as a weight loss drug in the U.S. The FDA approved Wegovy did a company funded study and participants had an average weight loss of 15 percent. And according to ABC News in the U.S., more than 100 million adults, about one in three are obese, dropping even 5 percent of one's weight according to this, can bring health benefits such as improved energy, blood pressure, blood sugar, and cholesterol levels. So this could be a game changer is what they're saying. But that was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? A SZA, a singer, she is opening up about why she turned down a magazine cover after a publication allegedly refused to hire a black photographer. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So uh, she revealed on Twitter saying this, I requested a black photographer for a cover in this magazine and, and they told me no. It's 2021 and almost Juneteenth. Respectfully, I can't do it. So fans asked her, of course, to reveal who the publication was. And she said, that's not my vibe. Oh. Um, but there's too many elite black creatives right now to not allow it. My thing is, why not say it? Why not put them on the spot? Kind of weird. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously she she might want to work with them again, but that is weird. I mean, why wouldn't this company just find a black photographer? Yeah, because it, it's. It, I think before you think about it, because... You know, people are like, well, why can't just a regular photographer shoot you? It doesn't matter what their skin color is. I know difference. somebody said this. It does make a difference. We've seen time and time again where we've talked about, even from our vice president, Kamala Harris, when she was on the cover of Vogue, and people called out the bad editing, the bad lighting. There's a certain way to light certain skin tones, and that is important, especially when you're in this industry, and to show the representation of it all as well. And so, um, yeah, I don't know, sis. I, I think for me i hate that type of, like if you're gonna say it yeah say go it. all out yeah this is weird if you really want someone like sizza and she asks for this this isn't a huge request no it's like, not just do it she probably gave like people that she th- loved and you could have <laughs> just been like just hire from this list it's that's weird. it well that's your tea report um i got more coming up next hour so don't you go anywhere and of course keep the conversation going at lgt show and i, I do want to know it's true because if they're doing something like this they're doing other sketchy stuff oh for sure. Now coming up, we've got GLAAD CEO and President Sarah Kate Ellis joining us as we continue to celebrate Pride Month. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As we start Pride Month, we are highlighting leaders in the LGBTQ plus community as we always do, but especially during this month. We have uh, our next guest on you know, a bunch. But now we're going to actually focus on her specifically, not just on what she's announcing, a press release. President and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis is back with us. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, my goodness. Thanks for having me. Happy Pride. <laughs> Happy Pride. This is Happy all, Pride. This is all about you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I like to uh, I like to call you literally the queen of the LGBTQ community. Like literally, <laughs> you're like the queen I'm of the gays. Happy to assume that. I love that title. <laughs> well, I want to know as a leader in the space, how has leadership changed since being part of Glad? How has your idea of it changed? It has evolved. You know, I think the the topics and and the issues that have been pressing our community, have also evolved over the time. I've been there for seven years now. And when I started, it was really about getting the message out of, around marriage equality. 
um, and how we were going to get, you know, awareness about that and education and, and make it so that it was understandable to everyone in America so that we can move that through. And today, I think, you know, what we're looking at is really around, you know, the trans community, people of color within our community, um, the non-binary community within our community, and really raising their voices, elevating their profile, and educating Americans about who they are. In terms of leadership, it changes what you're focused on. It's always about the community. Um, but I think that's really interesting as, as culture, because we focus on culture. As culture changes, so do we. Mm. Um, and so it's ever-evolving. Also, I think it's really a big responsibility, you know? Like, I don't know that I realized doing it. What I came in to do was modernize GLAD, and in my head, that was from a real business perspective, mm. right? Like, Social media taken off, uh, newspapers were dying, magazines were dead, and it was how is the media advocacy organization moving in this space? And but what really grabbed me was was that by strengthening the brand and putting it in places and spaces that it hadn't had authority in before, we had more, we had a bigger ability to do more for the community. Yeah, because I think about, obviously, I, I love how you t you say the, the messaging and, and kind of the objective changes, especially when it comes to uplifting trans folks and, and black and brown people uh, in our community, which I could assume, you know, <laughs> being, you know, a, a cis white woman in a leadership position like this, how do you pick and choose when to lend, you know, Glad's voice to lead something or kind of take the seat back and help amplify other organizations Organizations, especially like black and qu like queer black and trans led organizations as well. I, I think that's really interesting to kind of think about. Uh, that's a constant thing that we're thinking about. I think, and it's a really simple formula for us. It's where we can have the biggest impact, right? Like where if, especially if it's playing in the media, um, but, but also when we play in the media, it's really important that it's not just like, I love that you always have me. Um, and you have a very diverse slate, but we oftentimes, I won't go in front of the camera oftentimes because I want to make sure that who is being affected in our community is the person speaking about it. Mm -hmm. So if it's a trans person of color or a gender non-binary person, um, it's an Asian American Pacific Islander person. Um, so we're really thoughtful about who we put in front of the camera so that they're representing the community that is being affected or the particular community. I think that's really, really important. But I also think that we oftentimes, like you said, we use the platform that we have to raise the profile of other organizations. A great example of that is like when COVID hit, and we, we were concerned about funding. There's no doubt about that. We're right. not for profit. Yeah. But I was really concerned about community centers. Mm -hmm. I just, I saw them being, uh, you know, just ruined across the country. And knowing that our community relies on them um, every day was making me really, really concerned. So we used our ability to rate, to, to do a virtual event with a lot of big superstars 
and raise money specifically for community centers across the country so they could keep their doors open, so that they could keep paying. And those are the things that that are really important to us as an organization. And what advice do you have for those listening, whether they're younger or they, you know, they could be any of our ages, but who want to get into positions that you are in leadership positions for the community? If I can do it, anyone can do it. Honestly, <laughs> I mean that um, it's, there's no special powers. Or, <laughs> it, it is hard work dedication and passion and not saying no for an taking no for an answer in terms of building your your career and especially for us in the lgbtq community we're used to being sidelined um and sidetracked and so it's really important that we value ourselves um and we value the work that we put out there and the contributions that we make. Yes. Well, we're constantly inspired by you. I know for sure the the work that you and Glad do, um, it just changes so many lives. And mm-hmm. um, it's honestly, it changes our lives here on the station. So we appreciate the constant work and the, the ability to get stuff done and get people to listen because, honey, they don't always listen, but they listen to you and Glad for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. And happy Pride. Have a great Pride. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Hope to see you soon and celebrate. Yes. That was President and CEO of GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis. And we'll be back with more of Let's Go There right after this. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Trans youth in the U.S. were seeking treatment decades before today's political battles over access to health care. And here to share more is Jules Gill-Peterson, a trans historian based at the University of Pittsburgh and author of Histories of the Transgender Child. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Now, it's so important that we know about this history. How early did we see trans individuals seeking treatment? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. You know, trans kids, like like trans people of all ages, have been around long, long before there was any kind of medical transition or, or medical diagnosis possible. Um, so really, you know, the, in my research, I looked as far back as there was any kind of medical care associated with, you know, what we now think of as, you know, changing or transitioning gender or sex. And so that really goes back as far as the very beginning of the 20th century. And that far back, we see young people um, making their way to clinics for various different reasons. But really, about as far back as 100 years ago, there's clear evidence of of young people we would think of as trans. Even then, uh, when you're looking at the history, were we seeing kind of doctors or, um, I mean, people kind of speaking out in terms of this? Like, how were they, like, digesting, oh, this child may be trans? Because obviously we didn't have that language back then. So historically, how were they kind of assessing what these children were going through at the time? That's right. Yeah, it's it's actually a, a pretty brutal history. Uh, and in many ways, it mirrors the history of trans people in general. Um, you know, doctors were incredibly uninterested in helping trans youth uh, transition. So they were interested in studying young people because, you know, infants, children, adolescents are still in development. And basically, doctors have this kind of scientific interest. They wanted to study children who were still growing because they thought they were sort of living laboratories of human sex and gender. And they could maybe, if they studied them, figure out what it is that makes someone trans or makes someone grow into one gender or another. And of course, they never did. But it was this very difficult negotiation because any young person who knew who they were and who wanted 
to, to benefit from new technologies like surgeries or synthetic hormones, if we're talking in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, would really have to contend really, really transphobic doctors who certainly had none of their patients' best interests at heart. So it was quite a difficult landscape, uh, and, and it remains so for really, well, well up to the present day. Yeah, yeah, and also, also risk their lives. I feel like that movie, mm. whether you like it or not, who, what was the movie that starred that actor, unfortunately, who played a trans woman, who, and it really showed lo- lives being lost going through transitions really early on? Right, the movie about Lily Elba, the, yes. the Dutch painter. Yeah, that's oh, yes. right. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it was a very difficult time period. I mean, it still is. You know, part of the, the challenge of looking at medical history is that very few trans people have ever been able to successfully get access to medicine because it's been organized really against our interests. It's been, you know, doctors and, and scientists have long been interested in studying trans people or people who are born intersex in order to learn more about human gender and sexuality, but not not in order to take care of us. And so really, you know, youth present kind of the most remarkable case of this. I have, for example, letters written by children, you know, from ages 14 to 17, mostly in the 1960s, you know, writing to doctors and explaining, hey, I read your medical research. I read medical journals. I know exactly what it means to be trans. Here's a description of my life. I need your help. Can you explain what it is to my parents? Or could you help me get permission, you know, to protect me from bullying at school? Or could you send me hormones in the mail? And of course, doctors wouldn't do that because anyone under 21, you know, couldn't consent to medical treatment without their parents' permission. But it's, it's really powerful, I think, historically to sit with the testimony of these young people Speaking right to, I mean, imagine being a kid in the 60s way before the internet, right? Mm -hmm. You got to go to the library and pull out those dusty old medical journals and then take on the task of writing as a young person to a preeminent medical professional who you know is going to be hostile to you from the get-go. So it really is this kind of fierce determination and this kind of resilience that I think, you know, especially with what's going on, you know, and the backlash against trans youth and trans people in this country right now is really inspiring, but also sobering. You know, we're looking at kind of the same sorts of issues that have been fought for decades upon decades. And it's, it's incredible, you know, the resilience and energy that trans youth continue to bring, just like, just like the ones that came before them. Yes. Wow. Amazing. Beautiful way to put it. Jules Gill-Peterson, thank you for being here and for sharing all your knowledge. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Happy Pride. Yes, you too. Happy Pride. Uh, Jules is a trans historian and also the author of Histories of the Transgender Child. Thanks again. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes, Queen. And Yes, Queen is doing something good and is brought to you by Ralph's and Food for Less. Please support the Los Angeles LGBT Center Pride Pantry by texting this fridge to 20357. That's fridge to 20357 to make a donation today for a great cause. Donations doubled by Ralph's and Food for Less. Love that. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of these valedictorian speeches that always go viral every year. And this one is definitely doing that. It's from Paxton Smith, the valedictorian of Lake Highlands High School's class of 2021. See, we didn't have these opportunities when it was like my my age because YouTube wasn't around. Were you valedictorian? We didn't really have that. We had like different MCs. We didn't just highlight one person. You didn't. What? 
What? You didn't have like a valedictorian? Or... No, we just highlighted different people speaking because we were like. No, I, but valedictorian is a person who is at the top of their class. We don't they do all... that. We were more about equality. I doubt it. Not in Canada and their history. <laughs> it was a liberal arts school. Okay. Oh, you got it. Girl. All right. So, so let's get back to Paxson Smith. Okay. So her current speech is going viral. That's because she submitted her speech ahead of the commencement ceremony. And, you know, it was all about media and how much of it she consumes and how it shapes the way she sees the world. But she had another idea of something she really wanted to share more about the heartbeat bill that Governor Greg Abbott had signed into law last month. It's a law that prohibits abortions as early as six weeks. But many women don't know they're actually pregnant then. And it matters uh, not if the pregnancy results from incest or rape. So this is the bill that Governor Greg Abbott just signed. So, you know, she said to herself, like, I kind of want to talk about this. Well, she decided to do that last minute. In that moment, you know, she she didn't go by the script. She took another script out of her, you know, uh, I guess shirt or something. And she started sharing that. On stage, she's quivering, she's shaking, but it ended up being an incredibly powerful moment. I have dreams and hopes and ambitions. Every girl graduating today does. And we have spent our entire lives working towards our future. And without our input and without our consent, our control over that future has been stripped away from us. I am terrified that if my contraceptives fail, I am terrified that if I am raped, then my hopes and aspirations and dreams and efforts for my future will no longer matter. So here's the thing. I am obsessed with her. I think doing something that like this in a moment uh, where you're in front of so many people, you're in front of all of the people, like you're, you know, like the principals, the teachers, all of these things, and you still say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand right now. Forget everything y'all thought I was going to say. Exactly. I'm going to make this a moment that could reach across the world, and it did exactly that. Yeah, so she gets our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And that does it for our show today. We appreciate you for hanging out with us all week long. We are back on Monday, weekdays here on Channel Q, live 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Monday, we continue to talk about pride. And our kinks at pride too much. We get into the perpetual discourse around this and debates. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Plus, much more. We all have special guests all week long. What's trending this hour? You know the drill. If you miss any of our shows, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app and search Let's Go There. And we are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for what's popping with DJ Alex D right after this on Channel Q. Have a great weekend. Bye, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.